America was supposed to be widely released theatrically, but at the last minute became a direct-to-video movie, probably because the end product was far from what the studio thought they were getting. It suffers from two main problems, and they're both somewhat circumstantial. One, it was made on a shoestring budget, though most of my criticisms are story rather than production-related, and are issues that could still have been avoided regardless of poor production values. And two, the movie was made in 1990. As I mentioned in my last review, a lot of superhero properties brought to screen both in film and television were trying too hard to be Tim Burton's Batman at this time, and this is a prime example. Not that it necessarily was trying to derive its tone from Batman, but rather that too many story elements were borrowed from that film, as if because of its immense success, there was now a formula that had to be followed for every superhero movie, no matter how different from Batman it might be to guarantee its success. We know now, of course, judging from recent successes like the Iron Man films and Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, that staying faithful to the core and heart of a character, if not meticulously tracking with every element of its source material, is more often the better bet, both in effective storytelling for a superhero movie and for effectively selling it. But because it's a year after Batman, somebody on this project obviously decided to steer clear away from some of the most fundamental story points and character traits that makes Captain America Captain America. Now that's not to say the movie gets nothing right, and maybe we needed an experimental Captain America film before one could be made that really got the character right. After all, this is a guy who primarily exists in two different time periods. How much of the movie should focus on the World War II era, and how much should focus on Steve Rogers trying to acclimate himself to life in an unfamiliar future? Can his initial super soldier origin, his war history, his rivalry with Red Skull, his being frozen in ice, and his awaking and having adventures in the present all be handled in the same film. Who knows if the producers of Captain America The First Avenger looked at this low-budget and largely forgotten film before they began work on their own. But if they did, I imagine that played in their decision to set nearly the entirety of their movie in the 1940s. The first questionable choice the film makes, though, is to go out of its way to make Captain America a completely unknown hero, complete with a secret identity, so that by the time he's revived in the 90s, he can have the formulaic origin story of showing up seemingly out of nowhere to surprise the public when he first debuts. A major goal of the movie really seems to be to make sure Captain America isn't a fully realized hero until the very end of the movie, even though the majority of the film takes place after his World War II past. A lot of weird changes to his background are made as a result. He volunteers for the super soldier program, and after it's successful, he is immediately thrown into a battle situation, where we get the already cliched, you're our only hope line from one of his superiors. You see, Red Skull is putting together an experimental rocket, and he's going to use it against the U.S. really soon. Steve Rogers is thrown into his Captain America suit and dropped out of an airplane onto Red Skull's base with no training that we see or are told about, and no backup at all. The colonel with him in the plane tells him that because a Nazi spy gunned down Dr. Vaselli, who apparently came up with the super soldier serum, the indestructible shield, and the fireproof costume, no more of any of those things can ever be made again, because it was all too dangerous for her to write down anywhere. So that's why he doesn't have any other super soldiers to help. Okay, I get that he's maybe the only person physically strong enough to take on the Red Skull, the only other super soldier in the world, but Red Skull has soldiers surrounding him, wouldn't it make sense for Captain America to at least get 20 or 30 well-trained and armed guys to go with him? Why does the army think just because they've given this guy super strength, he's somehow qualified to take down the Red Skull's whole operation all on his own? This is, after all, his first mission ever. It's also going to be his only mission ever, unlike comic book Captain America, who is a highly praised war hero and an American symbol for generations thereafter. That idea is here, it's mentioned by one of his superiors that he's supposed to be a symbol for America, but it just doesn't work out because he's shot off on a rocket frozen in ice on the one mission he ever went on. That's right. 
Captain America has exactly one fight with Red Skull during World War II, is easily taken out, strapped to a rocket, and shot off into the Arctic. When he's revived later, his entire character arc revolves around making up for this mistake. He feels like a loser, and he has to prove to himself and the world that he can be a real hero. He blames himself for all the evil things Red Skull has done since he was gone, Red Skull who doesn't seem to have aged much, either due to his reconstructive surgery or just being a super soldier, we aren't told. If only Steve had stopped Red Skull in the past, he wouldn't have formed this evil world conglomerate that conspired to kill JFK and Martin Luther King, among others, and which now has kidnapped the president in a plan to control him and make environmental policy in the favor of their big business interests. But Steve's entire motivation is flawed. He didn't actually do anything wrong. At all. He was thrown into a situation he wasn't ready for with no help whatsoever. He did absolutely everything he could. He fought Red Skull's soldiers, he threw his shield at things, and he even grabbed Red Skull's arm and tried to take him with him when the rocket went up, which is actually my favorite scene of the whole movie. That's the one really cool thing Captain America does here. I mean, the movie tries to act like he's really clever a lot later when he, not once but twice, pretends he needs to throw up in order to get someone to pull over and take their car so he can go off on a mission on his own. But this is actually a decision I admired. Maybe the only one he makes in the whole movie that I thought really took some guts. He thinks he's going to die anyway, so he does something really desperate. But it's also his mission, take out the Red Skull. So he grabs him and won't let go, and lets Red Skull cut his own arm off. Anyway, so Steve comes off as a failure. At no point does anyone tell him or does he somehow realize that what happened with the Red Skull wasn't his fault, and that too much responsibility was unfairly put on his shoulders. As a result, his whole through line of character development doesn't make enough sense, and we don't really get to know the man. I mean, isn't Captain America supposed to be this model American? What are his values? What gives him more strength of character than another soldier? And I'm really not trying to compare this to First Avenger, which does answer those questions. I would have wondered about this anyway. We're told in a single line that he has polio, so we know he's a weak man who's made superhuman, though he looks perfectly healthy and appears no different at all after the experiment. We're told he was sick, and we're told he's now super, and I guess we just have to take the movie's word for it. It's nearly halfway through the film before I saw anything I would count as a feat of superhuman strength. If you didn't know anything about Captain America walking in, you'd wonder what the big deal about being a super soldier was. You might even just think, oh, I guess it gives you the power to throw a shield. All in all, this Captain America comes off as a pretty generic superhero. He's a hero because he was fated to be given superhuman strength by the government, and we're supposed to root for him because he wears a costume that designates him as the good guy. Just as we're supposed to hate Red Skull because he looks like a bad guy, kills people, and has these big grandiose world domination plots. Plus, he's a Nazi, and Nazis are bad. And he's got a piano outside at the top of his castle, and pianos outside are really evil. We don't really understand his motivations much more than we understand Steve's, except for the added bit of background that he was abducted from his home and experimented on and given a scary skull face. But is he supposed to be a tragic character? This Red Skull was an Italian. Why does he agree to join the Nazis? Captain America distracts him during their fight at the end with an audio recording of his family getting killed. He's obviously a tortured character, but we never learn the connection between that and all the evil choices he makes. Is he yet another insane character, so everything he does can be explained away by that? Maybe, but again, we just aren't given enough real information about either of these characters. And while it is a pretty heartwarming scene when Steve meets his long-lost love again, Bernie, who's still alive but of course very old, I never feel like I know him well enough to really be emotionally invested in this. I'm trying, but I'm still distracted by questions like, what's so special about you that made you the only choice for Captain America which got you in this strange predicament in the first place? 
There are certain character traits that make Captain America Captain America, and not only do we not really see any of them exemplified in this film, but all of his supporting characters have that big character-defining moment he never really has. Sure, Captain America tries to take Red Skull with him on a rocket, he beats him in the end, he tries to keep Sharon out of danger, he picks some kids up off the street instead of letting them get run over by a car, but when you're a super soldier, that's all easy stuff. Where's the difficult choice? The self-sacrifice. It's so weird that there's a lot of self-sacrifice in this movie, but it's never Captain America that makes a difficult choice, besides giving up on his old girlfriend, I guess, but she's 80-something and married. I mean that in-the-moment split decision that instantly tells us what kind of person he is. Sharon lets herself get captured to distract Red Skull's daughter so Captain America can get to the castle. The president throws himself off the mountain so Red Skull can't use him in his evil scheme. We get nothing like that anywhere for Captain America. And also no real sense that he's the one who inspires them to do this. I kind of get the sense that was in their character anyway. Matt Salinger is maybe not a bad choice for Captain America. It's hard to tell, given how mediocre a lot of his dialogue is and how distracted he seems in the suit. I remember reading once how hot he was constantly in the suit and how miserable it was to shoot. There are scenes where it's hard to tell if he's trying to be dramatic or if he's just about to pass out from exhaustion. I should mention that the director, Albert Pyon, claims the version that was released isn't exactly the one he made, and he says in a recent interview with Las Vegas Weekly that his director's cut is a melancholy film that focuses on Steve Rogers' depth of character rather than simply being an action fest. He says, and I quote, There was sadness at its heart for what can happen to our lives when a government steps in and uses individuals for their own questionable purposes. His cut was released just a few days before Captain America First Avenger hit theaters, and I haven't had the chance to get my hands on it. But when I do, if it's very different, I'll do a follow-up sometime down the line, as I've done with Daredevil and Superman 2. But still, even if this isn't the cut he wanted to release, I question even his motivations for trying to make Captain America a tragedy. There are other comic superheroes for which that's a story that makes sense. I'm just not sure it ever really flies with Captain America, without drastically changing the character into something unrecognizable. And the way this version stands, I certainly didn't pick up on any disdain the movie tried to give off about the United States making Steve a super soldier. It seems pretty black and white. We've got evil people who make an evil super soldier, and good people who make a good one. As I said before, I don't see any comments against America for using people for their own purposes. As Steve volunteered, he blames himself for not taking down Red Skull originally, and the movie celebrates him for rectifying that mistake at the end. Plus, we've got a president who's more idealistic than you could ever be and get elected, who, in a kind of soapboxy move on Pyun's part, I'd say, absurdly thinks he can get an environmental bill passed that would decrease all of America's solid waste by 90% in six months. I don't know, if you're trying to make a sad film about the state of the country, silly moves like that, along with your brightly colored costume character with plastic ears, just isn't going to go far to carry your audience where you're wanting it to go. In a movie that's apparently supposed to be a commentary on governmental atrocity, it's a little weird to have a president who can do nothing wrong, and to show him as a kid with the American dream to grow up and become president, which he, by the way, manages to do. I mean, no wonder this guy's an idealist. He took a trip to Washington, D.C., said, hey, I'd like to be president, saw a guy in red, white, and blue spandex riding a rocket over the White House, which inspired him to actually go off and do it, and then he really did become the president. Plus, wouldn't it have been far less awkward if Captain America was the classic war hero he was in the comics, and Kimball was inspired by him because he read about him, rather than just seeing him tied to a rocket for five seconds? 
President Kimball is, by the way, played by an actor I really like named Ronnie Cox, who is Captain Jellicoe in the brilliant Star Trek The Next Generation episode Chain of Command, who took over the Enterprise while Picard was being tortured by Cardassians. He has some silly things to do here, but his performance does elevate the movie. The tone is just really uneven to me. Negative commentary is attempted about the environment and big business, and yet we've also got this perfect president who can do no wrong. I don't know if this movie is optimistic or pessimistic. I do know that the final feeling I was left with certainly wasn't an optimistic one. Consider the final scene. Captain America rescues the president and kills the Red Skull, hitting him with a shield, which knocks him off the mountain and into the water after he hits the rocks about eight times. I mean, now what? Red Skull killed the only woman he ever loved, who was married anyway, and though he's been getting to know her daughter, this being Captain America, I kind of doubt he's going to date the daughter of his old girlfriend. The movie literally ends here, with a news report about the climactic battle and the president thanking Captain America. We have no idea what the future holds for him, regardless of this being a superhero establishing kind of story. I mean, if the point isn't to set up a hero who will then have further adventures, why go so far out of your way to not make him the famous war hero he was in the comics? But what kind of life is this guy displaced at a time supposed to have? Everyone he cared about is dead, and he stopped the one force he thought it was his duty to stop. Is he going to go back to the army, or just brood around on rooftops like Batman and stop petty crimes? I don't know, it strikes me as kind of depressing. Or at the very least, just a really weird note to end on. Scott Pollan's not bad as Red Skull, especially with the odd material he has to work with. Again, bizarre choice to make him Italian. That really serves no purpose and just kind of comes out of nowhere. But his performance is sufficiently menacing, and I do like a lot of things he does. I like that when he discovers Captain America is still alive, he sends his daughter after him rather than dealing with it himself. After all, this guy was just a minor nuisance to him decades ago, and at their only confrontation, he was unimpressed, calling him a poor choice for America's champion, which he repeats again at their final battle at the end. I mean, sure, Captain America made him slice his own hand off, but only because he was dumb enough to stand that close to a guy strapped to a rocket. And he really scolds his daughter hard when she doesn't get Captain America the first time, because, honestly, that shouldn't be that hard. It's as if Red Skull sees this Captain America the way I do. Untrained, inexperienced, and outmatched. And I guess that was supposed to be the point. But again, it just didn't serve as a very effective plot device. I also really like the idea of the Red Skull being behind famous assassinations, as well as his explanation for not killing the president. He says he's learned that assassinating these leaders just makes them martyrs, and what he really needs to do is control them. Of course, that leads to a really absurd comic book plot with a MacGuffin mind control device, but that's okay, because I like ultra-unrealistic comic book plots. If only the tone of the rest of the movie matched that, because since it's trying to be realistic and failing, it's hard to suspend disbelief when it does does something ridiculous on purpose. I like that he keeps referring to Captain America as brother, drawing attention to that which they have in common, both being super soldiers. But the classic two sides of the same coin idea isn't really explored, only mentioned. I'd like to know what they have in common beyond that, to see something thematic that really ties them emotionally together as well as physically. I also don't really mind the Red Skull makeup, especially for this budget, though it is kind of a shame that a guy constantly called Red Skull only has a Red Skull head in the first 15 minutes of the movie. I realize he had reconstructive surgery, but I'm guessing that was put into the script because his makeup up after the surgery was easier to do consistently than the former Red Skull makeup. Unfortunately, without the proper budget, a lot of the action is pretty stale and trying to look like the main event. There are a lot of scenes, especially toward the end, where the film seems to be stalling for time, with big long car chases or foot chases that just aren't very thrilling or well integrated. 
I should also, before I forget, mention Ned Beatty, who plays the president's best friend from when he first saw Captain America on the rocket. He has one of the more convincing performances as the man who tries to convince Steve that he's in the 90s and that he's not a Nazi spy. He doesn't get a lot to do, but this scene is pretty amusing as Steve sees the word Volkswagen on the guy's car and the words Made in Japan on a tape recorder. Later, Steve watches some tapes of Martin Luther King and other historical events as proof of what has happened since he was frozen, and I like his comments about how movies didn't used to be in little black boxes and you couldn't check them out from the library. He may have come alive more if we got to spend more time with him as he observed the future in comparison to the past. This is one of those many superhero movies that, at least in its released version, was obviously more concerned with turning a profit than telling a story or even being a good adaptation. With such a tight budget, it would have been smarter to focus on story and use more minimalistic action. Several ideas here might have served this well, where they fleshed out and if more concern was given to character depth and motivations, like how the Red Skull's family's deaths play into his evil schemes and what's so special about Steve Rogers that makes him the perfect candidate, as we're told he is, to be a super soldier. I'm giving it a 1.5 at a four. Bye.